I'm going to invite Lindsay up first um, to read to us from Philippians and Ephesians. Yeah, so uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 is do not, nope, can't read, give me a second. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. And then Ephesians 5, 18 through 33, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, so- psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to, the- to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of each of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they are free, fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of the body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you, Lindsay. And uh, it's wonderful to be with you all this morning. Um, I'm a guest speaker. That feels a bit strange, doesn't it? Hi. Um, for those of you that have uh, not uh, met me, um, I'm Sam, and uh, along with uh, my wife Ruth and family, um, we were part of this church for many years and, uh, and moved out to Portishead. I was about to say sunny Portishead, but it's not very sunny today, actually. Uh, but it's usually quite sunny uh, Portishead uh, to, uh, to be involved with a church there, Godeno Valley at church. And uh, we send our greetings this morning, and uh, it's wonderful to, um, to be with you and a real privilege for me. We miss you. And, and, and we still, uh, you're still very much in our prayers. And we thank you for your prayers for, um, for us too. Um, and so as your gift to me this morning, you give me perhaps one of the most controversial passages uh, <laughs> in the whole of, of the New Testament. Uh, and so we're going to get there in a short while. Um, we, uh, we as a family uh, went off and had a wonderful road trip around Scotland recently. And uh, one of the things I like to do, um, it might not surprise you, is, uh, is to read books on holiday. Um, unfortunately, I was doing quite like 1,400 miles of driving, so I had to kind of squeeze it in uh, somewhere. Um, but one of the books that I uh, managed to finish, actually, on holiday had a fantastic title. It's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Uh, and uh, the subtitle on this is The Improbable Rise of um, the, um, the Church. And the central question behind this book, it's a brilliant book, by the way, the central question of this book is why is it 
that the early church grew in the way that it did. Um, Because, in fact, you know, one of the things that he kind of points out is, you know, Christianity was just this small kind of Jewish sect. It was despised and regarded as as kind of worthless um, by those in the Roman Empire. Christians were laughed at. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted. And yet somehow in that context, we find that for the first 300 years of the church, the church grew 40% every 10 years. Now, I'm not very good at maths, but that adds up, doesn't it? 40 40% every 10 years for 300 years, okay? And so the chap that wrote this book, Alan Creeder, said, well, why? Why is it that that happened? And interestingly, he says um, one thing that really jumped out at me. He said this, it wasn't because of their cool church services. It wasn't because of their donuts after the service or their you know, fancy stages or live streaming of, of things. It wasn't anything to do with that. In fact, what he said is at least by the beginning of the second century, uh, people who were not followers of Jesus weren't welcome in their church services. It was only for baptized believers. And you think, what? It doesn't sound like very much like the way we do things today, is it? But he said, no, you know, it was dangerous to invite people in to your worship services because it might be that they go off and they talk to the imperial magistrate and that you find the whole church chucked into prison or perhaps worse. And so he says, interesting, he says, it wasn't anything to do with their church services. So what was it? And he comes to the conclusion it was because of the lifestyle of the Christians, those early Christians. That was the thing that drew people to the Christian faith. It wasn't their cool church services. It wasn't their Christian worship that attracted people to Jesus. It was Christians who attracted people to Jesus. Ordinary Christians explaining their, um, their lives to their family and friends when they asked about it. Ordinary Christians who were answering questions like, you know, why do you live like this? How is it that you honour your wife in the way that you do? People were drawn to the moral beauty of these early Christians' lives. Their joy, their, their generosity toward one another, their serenity and their wisdom, their perseverance how they handled money, how they handled and talked about sex, how they behaved toward one another, how they spoke toward one another. It was was these things that drew people like a moth to a flame. These early Christians stood out. They stood out from the culture around them. And so here, um, as we start to look this morning at this, um, th- this topic that you've given me around um, one another, how we live our daily lives is important. And, and actually, the series that we're in here on the one another's, today we kind of reach um, a- an interesting topic, which is one of submitting to one another, submitting to one another. And you might say, well, what on earth does it mean to submit um, so I looked it up in a dictionary and read some other things here. And, uh, and I particularly like this bottom definition here. To willfully deploy oneself in service to others. To willfully deploy oneself in service to others. And that word willfully, I think, is really important. 
it's not submission is not that we're to be a doormat for other people to walk over. There's a choice here. We are choosing to, uh, to submit. We're choosing to give of our own selves to serve others. There's a choice there. Uh, I wonder whether you struggle with the idea of submitting. Um, you know, it might be for you, you, you have a particularly independent streak. It might be you've grown up in a kind of quite a, you know, egalitarian kind of household where, um, you know, everyone kind of gets their opinion and, 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 and the idea of submitting to others um, is a challenge for you. I, I want to encourage you to just continue with this one as we unpack what it means to submit to one another. It might be for you that the idea of submitting is kind of quite kind of normal. You know, you might be sort of grown up in a military kind of household where it's kind of very normal to, to, to kind of submit to a hierarchy or to someone in authority. Uh, it might be that you work in an environment um, where your, what your boss says goes. And, and that's kind of, that's just the way it works. Um, not all workplaces are like that. Uh, you know, I, I spent quite a lot of time um, over my career working with, um, with the police and with NHS and in local authorities. And I tell you what, seeing the different work cultures is fascinating. You know, largely in the police, if, uh, if the person in control says we're doing something, it happens. <laughs> Every, everyone kind of falls into line because that's, the, that's their way of working. In the local authority and in the NHS, you know, less so sometimes. And, and actually seeing those cultures rub up against one another is fascinating. But every single day, all of us submit. If you put the bins out for the local authority to come and to take your bins away, you are submitting to uh, that authority. In Romans 13, we're encouraged to submit. The same word uh, as in our passage today in Ephesians. We're to submit to the governing authorities as God himself um, has put them there. You may know that the word Islam uh, means to submit. It means submission to the will of God. And so for Muslims, they, they understand the whole of their lives as being about submission to God. And James, in the book of James, uh, chapter 4, says this. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so as we think about submitting to one another and as we think about people in the bible who've chosen to submit there's no more important or better place to go than the life of jesus himself you know our lord is the perfect example of what biblical submission is all about the message puts it like this he describes jesus's life uh, eugene peterson says this he says um, jesus lived a selfless obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. Um, I think actually the last time I spoke here, I spoke on the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus died. Uh, and he's, uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying through the night. And he prays these words to his father, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus is the perfect example of someone submitting to God the Father. And what we see there is that is no comment on Jesus' value. 
Jesus submitting to his father is not in any way diminishing his value. But what he's doing is submitting to his father, his loving, caring father. And so every time we read in the New Testament any kind of imperative for us to do things, it actually flows from this place of the example of Jesus, bouncing off that big idea that actually as we love one another, just as Christ has loved us, our response to him is to love one another, but also to choose to submit. And so our first passage that Lindsay read out to us is from Philippians. And, uh, and it says um, that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves, each of us looking not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is something about the, uh, us and our, the, uh, our choosing to put the needs of others first. That's submission. And it's a constant attitude toward others and putting their needs first. Our passage in Philippians talks about us doing that in humility. And uh, Rick Warren um, says this um, in, his, uh, in his book, Purpose Driven Life. I think it's the, the best-selling, actually, perhaps the second best-selling uh, behind the Bible. He says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. And here in Philippians, Paul is encouraging Christians to think first of the needs of others. And then, of course, um, in Ephesians, right at the very start of the chapter that, we've, um, that we're reading today, uh, Paul talks about uh, God's example. It says, uh, uh, Jesus, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he goes on to talk about us um, pursuing and being filled with the Spirit uh, in uh, verse 18. If you could put that one up, thanks. Uh, it says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, just as being filled with too much wine alters our perspective, so being filled with the Spirit radically changes the way we relate to God and to other people. You know, instead of, um, of an attitude of lording it over others, we're called to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with, to walk with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here, Paul unpacks what that means. What does it mean to walk with the Spirit? Oh, well, it looks like speaking to one another with psalms. It looks like singing and making music. It looks like giving thanks to one another. And, of course, the last thing here, fifthly, he also says that it's, uh, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? It looks like submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And just as God, through Jesus, did something extraordinary for us, we, in response, do something extraordinary, which is choosing to prefer the needs of others, to put them first. And, of course, he goes on then. This is where it gets controversial, of course. He goes on to apply that to a couple of different areas of our lives. And he talks about um, parents and children, he talks about um, what it looks like for, um, for masters and for slaves. 
And of course, he talks about what that looks like in a marriage. Uh, now, I've got a, a rope here with me, and uh, I just want to do a bit of an illustration. So, Paul, you can hold the other end of this just so that this works. Now, hopefully, well done. You took, took Paul out there. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> you know, sometimes for us, you know, when we're struggling to submit to one another, it can feel a bit like we're, in, we're locked in a tug of war. Don't actually, Paul, because you're, 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 yeah. Uh, it can feel a bit like we're locked in a tug of war, Yeah. And, and actually, it, it can feel like actually we, we can't possibly let go. And we're pulling against the other person. Now, of course, I don't know, your marriage might be different from mine. Sometimes it feels like this in mine, right? And actually, what, what's happening is you're saying, oh, can I, you know, no one person is able to let go and pulling against one another. And then actually you find yourself saying things like this. I'm putting in all the work. And I just need some time to relax now. You asked me to put out the bins again. I only did it three days ago, you know. And, uh, and you think, actually, what you're doing is you're pulling against one another. Because you're, I think as partly what's going on is you're a bit scared that actually, um, if you were to let go, then actually you become a bit of a doormat. That you find you just are doing all the things that you, you don't want to do. And you find yourself saying things like, you know, you never do this for me. You never put my needs first. You always do that. And and actually what we find is, if we're not careful, it becomes a battle of wills. And of course, this applies not only to marriage. I think it applies to all sorts of things. I'm very conscious. You know, if if you're not married, I think this still applies in many of our relationships today. Uh, But the idea of somehow choosing in that tug of war to put down the rope is terrifying. Because what happens if you put down the rope? What will the other person do? Will they keep pulling the rope? And so what you find yourself saying is, I'll put down the rope just after they put down the rope. I'll say sorry just after they say sorry. I'll forgive, but only when I see that they're going to forgive me. You ever find yourself, oh, no, there are lots of blank faces. Clearly, you're not, you know what I'm talking about. But do you know what? God says to us, I went first. That actually in Jesus, he chose to forgive first. He chose to put down the rope. And the Christian response when we're caught in that tug of war with one another is to be in a race to be first, to be first, to put down the rope. You know, that is terrifying. But actually, the Christian call on our lives when we're choosing to submit to one another is to be in a race, to be first, to say sorry, to be first, to forgive, to be first, to put the other, the needs of the other before our own. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? And so very quickly here, it talks in Ephesians 5, verse 22. This is the controversial bit. It says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, There's no verb. Did you notice that? Um, This is really, I geeked out on this actually this weekend. Um, There is no verb. And what it's doing is it's taking the um, the previous verse, the previous sentence where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says here, why submit to your own husbands. 
Uh, now, note that word, own husbands. That doesn't mean all women to all men. It doesn't mean women to all men. It says, to your own husbands, submit to one another. And when we read that verse, we kind of have a, a, a reaction, I think quite rightly, because we're, we're living in a culture of equality, and we read this, and we go, uh, that's my next, yeah, uh, we think, <laughs> what? And, and actually, for us, that's a shocking statement. It's something that really jumps out at us. We bristle because our culture uh, would think very differently. But for those in Ephesus reading this, their response was not, uh, but duh. <laughs> yeah. Like, in other words, what they, they would read this and go, well, of course women would submit to their husbands. This wasn't a surprise. No one was offended. That's very different to us. Because what would have shocked them is what came next in verse 25. Because he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, uh, you know, it's surprising, actually. If you, um, if you read some kind of the ancient texts around marriage at the time, it's very, very rare to read husbands uh, and the talk of loving their wives. In that culture... Uh, uh, wives were considered to be, quite literally in law, the property of the husband. Okay? Very different culture from our own. Wives were, um, were considered to be property. And if a husband ch- so chose, he could sell his wife into slavery. Okay? Very different from our world. And yet here, what Paul is saying is, no. Love your wives. Cherish and care for your wife. It was a radical statement. Paul says that you're to love your wife just as your very own body. And so where we might kind of read this verse and we're like, what? They would have done the same. But uh, when the, the bit that references the husband, not the wife. To use the language of the message again, we're two husbands, to love our wives, and a love marked by giving, not getting. A love marked by not domineering over, but cherishing. His words evoking her beauty, everything he does being designed to bring out the best in her. And in a very hierarchical society, Paul here encourages everyone to submit to one another which was a countercultural and radical thing to do. So just as I close, I wonder if you struggle with the idea of submitting to someone else. And you might be here thinking, well, I'm, I'm not married. Does this, any of this have kind of applied to me? What's going on? I think it does, actually, um, in this way, that actually selflessness is for all of us. If you find yourself locked in an argument with someone, Actually, choosing to be first to drop the rope is for you too. You know, when you walk into the office and instead of complaining about your boss, you choose to say something positive. You are choosing to submit. You're choosing to uh, entrust yourself and show something of the goodness and the mercy of God. When you decide that although you're going through a difficult time yourself, that actually you're going to put energy into listening to someone else who's going through a tough time and support and love and care for them. 
you're choosing to put on display something of the comfort that you receive from Jesus and sharing that with someone else. You're preferring their needs over your own. When you commit to making a relationship work, when it would be much easier to turn your back uh, on that person and walk out the door, you're choosing to put on display something of the faithfulness of God. You're choosing to prefer their needs over your own. And in the worst um, moments, um, particularly in marriage, it can feel a bit like a tug of war. But in that moment, it's saying, you know, not are you being a good friend to me? What we should be asking is, am I being a good friend to you? Not, you know, is she making me the best person I can be? We should be asking, am I doing everything I can to love and cherish and bring out the best in my partner? And if you're here thinking, oh, my my spouse really needs to hear this. (laughs) You've missed the point. (laughs) You've missed the point. We're to be the ones to put down the rope first. And just as, I, just as I very much close, we're going to pray now. I just want to quickly address uh, this issue. Uh, because these verses have been used uh, in ways I think are kind of spiritually abusive. Um, if you've ever found yourself using these kind of verses and speaking them over to someone else and say, you should submit to me, this is what it says in the Bible. Um, you are, I, I'm going to say this out loud. You are being spiritually abusive. It's not right. It's not right to do that. And I think for some of us, um, you know, particularly if you find yourself caught in, in a relationship that is, um, puts you in some personal danger or harm or abuse, then I, I, I'm not using this passage in any way um, for, uh, for, to, to say to you of any kind of straitjacket. I think we need to do what's, uh, what's in our own, um, for our own personal safety and to avoid abuse. Um, and if, if that is you, you know, I, I would urge you to seek professional help, um, to go to, to others, speak to leaders, um, speak to others who can help you in that situation. But nonetheless, this passage here is encouraging all of us to submit to one another, to be the first to put down the rope, that we might submit to one another as our response of worship to God. Let's pray. And as I do so, why don't the bands, why don't you come on up? Father, we, um, we thank you for these words, this, this controversial passage, and yet, actually, Lord, we know um, we all fall far short of, of preferring others' needs ahead of our own. And, Lord, as we've read these challenging verses, Lord, would we live lives, Lord, that, um, where we don't just try harder, but, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us, that we might have the power, not from ourselves, but from you, to live lives of selflessness, of humility, and of submission to one another, that we might reflect Jesus in and through our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.